Skills in Godly Relationships, Part 3. In the first week, we uh, talked about the importance of relationships, uh, the caution against excess, dealing with people that feel as though they need 792 friends. Uh, Last week, we dealt with uh, what to seek and cherish in friends and what to beware of and avoid. And this week, we're going to start with pitfalls in relationships. So let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, we come this evening with thanksgiving and praise. Uh, We recognize that you are a relational God. You were meant, you meant for us to be relational people. And so as we look at your word to uh, find the best way to have good friends, ask Lord that you would teach us the lessons that are necessary, both in how we live out this life as well as what we look for in others. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so pitfalls in relationships. Number one, mismatched intimacy. Proverbs 25, 17 says, Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. I don't know about you, but when I first saw that mismatched intimacy, I was thinking missionary dating, you know, don't be unequally yoked and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the point here is, the terms that are used, it says, Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Uh, the word seldom here is yakar, uh, means precious, scarce, prized, valuable. The idea is make your foot rare or scarce. Why? Because scarcity drives up the value. And so the idea here is drive up the value of your visit by avoiding excess. Um, <laughs> we, we could talk about the people that visit too often and we wish they wouldn't. That's the idea there. Uh, Are they bringing anything that makes it worth their being there that many times? The word weary here, lest you you become weary of you and hate you. The weary uh, weary is sabah, to sate, to fill, to satisfaction, to have enough, fill, have plenty, to be satiated, uh, satisfy, that kind of a thing. So, uh, again, the idea here is avoid barging into someone's life, overwhelming them with one's needy, demanding presence. You know, you know those kinds of people. They're needy and they, they kind of force themselves on you. And it's saying, avoid those people. Notice number two, spend time that is appropriate to the friendship, to the relationship. Uh, Unfortunately, all too many marriages spend time that would be appropriate to a colleague at work. They don't spend a lot of time. And uh, sometimes they spend too much time with their colleagues at work, that kind of a thing. So you're looking at the type of relationship you have, spend the appropriate amount of time for that kind. One's presence should be valuable and valued not excessive. Um, When we get to spend time uh, with our kids as a whole and we listen to them talk together and talk about the various things they did as they were growing up and things like that, we enjoy that time. Now, if they were all over our house all the time, it might become less enjoyable. Uh, That's the idea here. 
Okay, so mismatch intimacy is the first pitfall in relationships. The next one is flattery. We talked about flattery a little bit last week. Uh, let me read a couple of verses for you. Proverbs twenty six twenty eight. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. So the problem, relationships that are characterized by flattery, uh, it means that ultimately they're not telling you the truth. They're holding back the hard truths. They're also giving you untruthful praise, and they normally give it in a lot of amount. They lavish it upon you. Um, when those kinds of relationships are going, notice flattery is not being kind, it is not being loving, it is not doing good. It is ultimately lying to the person for whatever the reason may be. So the principle in dealing with this kind of person, uh, first of all, there's a failure to correct uh, failure to correct someone can be treating serious faults with adoring blindness. Think of uh, young people as they enter into a relationship with a, a member of the opposite sex. Um, very often their friends will warn them about the other person. It's usually girls warning uh, their friend about the guy. And the girl doesn't see it. She is wearing the rose-colored glasses. She is blind to it. That is a possible reason why someone wouldn't correct uh, failures in your life. A second reason, a relationship that is too fragile to handle the weight of reality. I recently heard about someone that is not coming to church because they were offended by what someone said. Now, that may just be because of the level of the relationship was such, uh, when the reality is, is, okay, when someone says something that bothers you, that offends you, probably the first thing you ought to be doing is saying, okay, Lord, is there any truth in this? Because we are blind to our faults, right? If there's no truth to it, then what am I worried about? But very often, criticism, even that which is not constructive, has a measure of truth to it. So I probably ought to be looking real careful as to, okay, what is God trying to teach me in this situation? Uh, as far as my feelings go, um, in this day and age, feelings have too much to do with what people think and say. The reality is, is your emotions fall into the word that deals with passions in the Bible. And what are we supposed to do with those things? They're supposed to be put off to the side. It's not that you don't have them. They do not determine which way to go as you walk with God. Uh, even when it comes to uh, looking for the will of God, uh, we, we talk about peace as being one of the signs. Well, the reality is, is you can be so deceived that you can have peace about doing something that God has specifically said, don't do. So it, emotions should never be 
the basis upon which I'm going to make some kind of a decision like not fellowship with a particular group. There are reasons why you might find this church is a little bit more advantageous to where you are in your spiritual life, but leaving a church because someone said something that you were offended by, you're totally missing Matthew chapter 18. If your brother's done something to offend you, you go and talk to him. And if he hears you, you've won him. If he doesn't hear you, it doesn't mean he has to agree with you. But if he doesn't hear you, you go and get two or three others. Those two or three others are not there to be on your side. They're to get a good overview of what happened and then talk to the appropriate persons that need to be talked to. That would be the offender and the offendee. Sometimes the offendee needs to be told, you know, I understand what you're saying, but you're not right here. Sometimes the offender needs to be told, look, brother, this is one of those things where you really need to consider your brother as more important than yourself and and deal with that kind of thing. And of course, um, when we just leave the church because we're offended, uh, we've totally disregarded what God has told us to do. Uh, Things to consider there. So uh, if the relationship is too fragile, that it cannot handle the weight of reality, uh, then definitely uh, flattery is not the better way to handle that thing. And then, of course, the third, failure to correct can be the need for a friend that is unhealthy and unwise, chaining one to another who cannot bear the truth. Sometimes people use flattery as a way of getting friends because they're, they're so desperate and, uh, and they're needy, so they, they want to somehow get that person on their side. And again, that is uh, not a good basis for a friendship. Number two, if a friend criticizes you, consider, am I above criticism? As I said earlier, if someone criticizes you, even if it's not constructive criticism, first question, is there any truth in uh, this situation? Uh, obviously, none of us are above criticism. The second question that should be asked is, am I a scoffer? Proverbs fifteen twelve says, a scoffer does not love the one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. So sometimes when we're unwilling to listen to criticism, it's because we're on the path of the scoffer. Doesn't mean we have to live there. Doesn't mean we've come to a point of there's no possible return. It just means we're on that path. And then number three, we must cultivate the attitude of the wise man. Proverbs 9, 8, and 9, Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. So uh, basically, we want to take on that attitude. Uh, Flattery is not the means by which we want to win friends and influence people and all that kind of stuff. Number three, when offense is given, Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Overview, the danger and the solution. Number one, a hostile inclination transforms any molehill into a mountain. Did you catch that one? Uh, When people get highly offended, highly agitated, irritated because of a little itty bitty thing, 
They started with an attitude that allowed that to happen. Because if it's a molehill, that's what it is. It's a molehill. It's not a mountain. We make things in the mountains depending on our perspective. So the top of the next page, in contrast, love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 17, 9, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Uh, and then 1 Peter, ooh, I didn't put 1 Peter in here. Basically, 1 Peter 4, 8 talks about love covering a multitude of sins uh, also. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians talks to the Corinthians about those who have taken their brother who has caused harm to them to the secular courts. They're suing them in the secular courts. And he goes, what on earth are you doing? We're going to judge angels. And if we can judge angels, don't you think we can handle whatever the situation is between the two of you? He goes, you would have been better off taking the loss, taking the hurt, than going before unsaved people and airing all this dirty laundry. Um, one of the things that I find we are, I don't want to say just as, but we're becoming so much more like the world in that the willingness to take the hurt. That's my service unto God. He treated me improperly, shouldn't have treated me that way. Oh, well. It's not that you don't confront a thing, but if a person doesn't see it and it's not a, a major thing, then you know God will teach them lessons through, I believe it's Proverbs 15.1 says, through the rebukes of life. So if they're not going to listen here, if they're not going to learn here, then you take the loss. It's just a service unto God and a service unto the other person. And why would you do that? Because of love. I love that person too much to allow this little thing to get between us. Okay? That brings us to letter B, uh, dilemma. Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, videos of uh, either dams or the levees uh, when they finally break. Usually a little bit of water flowing out over the top, and before a little, little bit longer, it erodes some more soil, and then all of a sudden, whoosh, and it causes all the flooding uh, down below. That's what you see here underneath uh, number one here, the breach of the dam. First there's a little, then the flow erodes the dam, and then eventually the dam breaks and you have a flood. Well, minor wrongs in relationships, love should cover it. But when we find ourselves obsessing due to injured feelings or pride, we keep bringing it up until a fight starts. Now, almost everyone in here is married, uh, except for the two little ones. Um, have you ever seen that happen in your marriage relationship? Where it's a little thing, but you were hurt by it, and so therefore you bring it up, and you bring it up, and you bring it up. And before you know it, you got into this big fight, and by the time you're done with the fight, you don't even remember what started it. That's the idea here, okay? Notice uh, 
Opening the floodgate lets loose more than can be predicted, controlled, or retrieved. Uh, we, we talk at our house about rehearsing things. Um, someone will say something, uh, and we'll go home and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. And it's kind of like uh, when we were down in Brazil, uh, one particular family, missionary family, the relationships were not the way they should have been. There was some uh, things done that were improper. Um, we tried to confront the situation with uh, daughters. And, um, well... No one seemed to think it was a problem. They were going to continue letting it go on and on and on. And it came to the point where we'd sit down for dinner and the family would be talking about this other family over and over and over again. Kind of like, guys, I don't want to hear about this family anymore. If you've got nothing good to say about them, I don't want to hear about them. Now, I wouldn't say that that was necessarily the best way of handling it, but we were doing this very thing. The fact of the matter was, was if it continued on, the dam was going to break. And when the dam breaks, whether it's the way you talk to that person, the things that you say to that person, uh, whatever, you can't predict how much is coming out. You also cannot predict, as it says here, um, whether or not you'll control yourself as you're telling that stuff, or whether or not any of that stuff can be brought back under, because once it gets going, it flows. So wisdom says, abandon the quarrel before it starts. A quarrel is easier to start than it is to resolve. Now, for our little ones here, that is something that is wisdom. In dealing with your brother or with your sister, it is better sometimes to not get started in the fight because once it gets started, it's really hard to stop it. <laughs> and I'm only saying it because I was a brother and uh, have kids and know how it works. <laughs> okay, so that brings us to disaster. Uh, Proverbs 17.9 again. Uh, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Um, in this particular case, the offense has been done. Love hasn't covered it, or you didn't find a good resolution. Maybe you went to them, talked to them. They didn't see things the way you did it, and, uh, and, you, and you give up at that point. All too often... People will go and say something, and because the person didn't hear him, they will stop. Kind of like, well, that person is just in exile, my emotional exile over there, instead of going and getting two or three. Um, sometimes they'll go and get two or three, but if it's not resolved, they still don't go the next step. Um, most times... Um, all too often, in fact, people will come to the pastoral staff and say, hey, you need to talk to so-and-so. Kind of like, no, I really don't, because they didn't offend me. <laughs> you know, um, so either love doesn't correct the problem or one didn't successfully resolve it, either by direct confrontation or a lack of forgiveness of uh, repented offenses. Uh, this is one I see quite often in counseling. Um, 
Open your Bibles to Luke 17 for just a moment. Since we're dealing with relationships and and this fits in this situation, uh, Luke 17. I can't find Luke. It's in the Bible someplace. (laughs) All right, Luke 17. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's dealing with relationships uh, issues here. And uh, he says in verse 3, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Now, thus far, what do we know? Someone's done something wrong. A brother, someone that's in a relationship with him, tells him that he's done wrong, and he acknowledges, I did wrong. A lot of times we read more into that verse because we define repentance as a change of mind that works itself out in a change of action. Now, that's not a bad definition, but the word repent just means change of mind. If there's truly a change of mind, will there be a change of action? Yes. How quick does that change of action happen? Someone said eventually. That would be correct. Sometimes the change of action happens immediately. But sometimes they go through it over and over and over and over and over again before they finally figure it out, however you want to describe that, okay? Notice in verse 4. Uh, And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, Now notice, what did he do seven times? He did what was wrong and then seven times came back and said, I acknowledge that I did what was wrong. Notice how repentance does not include that change of life immediately. And the reason why that's important is when it comes to relationships, especially between husband and wife, and we're going to deal with the marital relationship a little bit more, hopefully next week, providing I get through all of this tonight. (laughs) Um, Very often, um, men do the same thing. I was going to say stupid thing over and over and over again. We'll not say that this time. Uh, they, they do something wrong over and over and over again. And uh, wives are looking for repentance. Well, he might acknowledge that he did it wrong. That's not repentance in the, in the mindset of the wife because he hasn't changed. It's kind of like, according to this verse, he did it seven times in a day. He didn't pick up his socks. He didn't put the seat back down. Whatever the thing is. And he acknowledged that he did it wrong. And it says, you must forgive. But he didn't repent. Yes, he did, because he acknowledged that he did wrong. It is that simple. And for whatever reason... 
the most important relationship outside of our relationship with the Lord is the one that we actually do things that cause problems instead of just obey God. Well, if I, if I just forgive him, he's not going to change. Upon whom is change? Who is responsible for making change in the other person? God the Holy Spirit. And he does it through the Word. Now, how many husbands are in the Word regularly? I know some of them are. But men don't like to read in many cases. There are some guys who love to read. Hallelujah. Read your Bible. Okay? But a lot of us don't like to read. We just soon watch a TV program because we're visually stimulated and we don't have to do anything. <laughs> we're lazy. Um, true story. But the reality is, is we have to be in the Word. Uh, now, Lynn and I, we're, we're doing the chronological reading through the Bible this year, but we're listening to it on our, on our phone. Uh, I do my share of reading. She does her personal devotions, and uh, but we're listening to it. Why? Because it's a little bit easier for me, and we can do it while we're eating breakfast. <laughs> but uh, the reality is, is if you want men to change, get them into the Word. Say, hey, Al's got a Bible study on Monday night at his house if they're a young guy. Hey, Al's got a Bible study on Thursday night at the church if they're an older guy. Hey, someone else is doing a Bible study up at, uh, I think it's Chick-fil-A on Friday mornings. Um, excellent. Find someone that will do a Bible study with you if, that's, if those three aren't good enough. Uh, but again, uh, women and anybody else, you must forgive if they acknowledge that they've done wrong. Okay, let's go back to our uh, disaster here. Number two, uh, the repeated or harping on the offense is normally uh, what happens when there's a lack of forgiveness or uh, they haven't resolved the issue by direct confrontation. So they repeat, uh, repeat or harp on that offense. They rehearse it, usually to the other person. And then, of course, there's three possible solutions to the offense. Allow love to cover that offense. Confront with a satisfactory outcome and drop the matter, or confront with an unsatisfactory outcome, which is going to cause distance, uh, distancing yourself from your friend, uh, or you can resolve to drop the matter. Again, we're talking about stuff that is not major here. Or you can keep bringing it up and ultimately destroy the friendship. And... Again, this is where in, in the marital relationship, very often, the bringing it up over and over and over again. I'm not sure we'll see it when we get there, but uh, one of the Proverbs says that a wise woman builds up those that are in her house, and uh, a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. And this is one of the ways that that happens. So we've uh, dealt with dilemma, we've dealt with disaster, now we move on to demolition. Proverbs 18, 19. Uh, this is the ruin of a mismanaged offense. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. So this is for a more major offense. It's something that you just can't overlook. It, it has to be dealt with. 
confronting the offender as one who does not accept responsibility. They do not repent. They're not seeking forgiveness and or or they won't give appropriate restitution. So uh, that's who we're dealing with here. They have offended in a way that the relationship cannot continue as it was before. Uh, very often in doing marriage counseling, uh, occasionally you run upon those uh, situations where there's been infidelity. And um, when the guy finally acknowledges it, uh, very often uh, the woman cannot trust, understand, don't have a problem with that. Um, can that relationship be restored to the point where trust is a possible uh, thing again? And the reality is, is, yes, it will take work, but it can. In this particular case, now, again, that's one of the most intimate relationships, the most important relationship, but sometimes you find yourself in situations with friends where, look, if they continue on that path, we cannot have the relationship that we had before. That one at least is a little bit more understandable because you're not in a covenant relationship at that point, unlike marriage. So uh, number three, intimate relationships are open one to vulnerability. And that is the truth of the matter. Uh, it allows for great damage like no other. Uh, when damage has been done, it is not easily undone. Again, if, if between a married couple forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness, and with work, trust can be reinstituted, couldn't that be the case for just about any relationship? And, and I would say, by God's grace, the answer is yes. But in reality, very often it's not, because there's an unwillingness on at least one party's uh, place to deal with things. In this particular case, we're dealing with the offender. They're unwilling uh, to repent, at which point that relationship comes to a point where, yeah, we, we can't be like we were before. Um, that's what our founding fathers thought about uh, their relationship with England, if you think about it. Uh, yeah, we, we cannot continue in this relationship the way it was. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so peaks, letter F. Four positive aspects of relationships. First of all, number one, analysis and criticism. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6 says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So, the words that are used here. First of all, open rebuke. The word rebuke here is tokecha. It is used in chapter 1, verse 25, and chapter 1, verse 30 as the word counsel. In 311, 1017, 12, 1, 13, 18, and 1532, it is used as discipline. Very often when we think of rebuke, we think of uh, yelling at someone that did something wrong. Though that may be included, when we rebuke from a biblical perspective, we're, worrying, we're loving that person enough to tell them not only what they did wrong, but how they might do it correctly. Um, that would be that would include counsel and discipline, or discipleship, if you will. Number two, uh, open rebuke. The idea of open is uncovered, manifested, frank, 
and direct. Um, back when I was in Bible college, at Citadel Bible College, uh, Dr. Brownback said, the further a nation gets away from God, the more they beat around the bush. Uh, last week we talked a little bit about candor, openness. And I know there's three pages, and for some reason I only have two here. You have three, right? Okay, well, we'll figure it out in a minute. Um, the, the reality is, is we ought to be able to, as believers in Christ, knowing that we're to exhort one another while the, we see the day approaching, our relationships should develop, could de- develop, to the point where we can be open and honest with each other about even the things that someone has done wrong. And that's the idea here. It's uh, You're honest about and helping that other person see where they've done wrong so that they might correct that which is in their life. But notice letter B, hidden love that doesn't rebuke is morally useless. Lynn, would you grab me another set of notes there, please? Uh, Let me uh, look at Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 again. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. All too often, people use love as, as an excuse to not help their brother or sister see an issue that's in their life. And uh, that is love that is carefully concealed, and therefore it is not really love. So hidden love that doesn't rebuke is morally useless. Bringing us to the top of the third page. The wounds of a faithful friend are faithful wounds. The word faithful here is aman, to confirm or support. Now, wounds are still wounds. If someone tells you something that's true about you, it may hurt. But these wounds are from a faithful friend. The word faithful here is, or friend is ahab. Literally, it means one who loves. Now, it's interesting. The wise man loves the one who rebukes him so that he may be wiser still. And a faithful friend gives open rebuke. So you have the one that is rebuking, loving, the one that is wise, receiving that loving rebuke because he loves the person that's telling him. Could that describe a marriage relationship? I say could because we might say it should, but you do have to grow up a little bit together to get to that point. And that would be the same thing that's true about a relationship with someone in the church. You kind of have to grow up a little bit together to get to that point. So uh, notice letter number four there. Uh, The enemy intends to hurt or destroy in contrast to the friend's intention of helping. Proverbs 28, 23, He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. It's interesting. Listening to an interview with... uh, What were they called? The Fearsome Four or something like that. The Steel Curtain was another group. There, there was a few old-time football teams where the lines, they absolutely hated the other team. 
And uh, after they retired, where it wasn't a competition anymore, they became the best of friends, where they actually got together, hung out, had barbecues and all that kind of stuff. And this guy was reporting that. He goes, you know, when we played, I hated that guy. But after the game was over, after we both retired, it's kind of like we became faithful friends because that conflict, it brought them close. Now, it's a weird way of getting close, but, uh, but notice again, Proverbs 28, 23, he who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward. It, it, the process is what everybody's afraid of, but it actually, if, if you go through the process, what's on the other side is actually better than what you had before you got started. That's the idea there. So that brings us to number two, helpful counsel. Proverbs 27.9, ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Oil and perfume, these are associated with celebration, feasting, and joy. Uh, a while back, we were doing a little bit of... Uh, um, uh, intermittent fasting. So um, <laughs> we would uh, eat dinner and then we would go all the way through breakfast up until lunch. And I'd come home for lunch and Lynn would be, she'd have those uh, scentsy type things that melts the wax and the, and the various smells. And she would get these pumpkin pie ones. You walk in the door and you smell that. It's kind of like, I need to eat. <laughs> and it, that smell just, just made it bad. But the reality is it smells good. Well, that's the idea. There's uh, celebration. There's feasting. There's joy. So notice a good friend makes life sweet, both in the physical plane, uh, uh, both on the physical plane, as well as the non-physical plane. Uh, it is one thing to be, hang around with a bunch of guys that you like hanging around with, but the reality is, is if they're the right kinds of friends, uh, it is going to be spiritually stimulating as well as enjoyable. That's the idea there. Uh, earnest counsel is literal, literal counsel of the soul. Uh, it is heartfelt. It is sincere. Again, this is where we're actually dealing with issues, not just talking about whether or not the blues are ever going to get back to the Stanley Cup. Um, very often, even among Christians, talking about sports, um, what the kids are doing, um, your relationship with your wife or work. That, that's what we talk about a lot. It's kind of like, it can be so much better if we would take the time. Um, number, or letter B there, heartfelt, sincere, uh, is precious and gladdening for two reasons. The other person has our best interest in mind, and it arises out of familiarity with us, our motivations, our aims, and our character. So again, this is where someone's actually going to be dealing with us, knowing us. So when they say something, uh, they're not speaking out of um, their imagination. Uh, for example, I... Uh, there have been times in the past when people have thought they knew something about someone else and that they wanted to confront that issue, not knowing the person well enough to know, no, that's not an issue. 
It's not that it hasn't ever been an issue, but it's not an issue now. And so here they want to attack instead of get to know the person and be able to actually speak to what's true in their life. So that brings us to loyalty. Proverbs 20, verse 6, which we read last week, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful friend? This emphasizes the importance of the quality in others and in oneself. It is one of those linchpin traits. Uh, A person with no character is easily swayed by whoever uh, at any given moment. Uh, They'll listen to this person and say, oh yeah, I agree. And then they'll come over here and listen to this person, totally contrary to what the first person said. Oh yeah, I'll agree. Loyalty requires the ability to stick with a value or a person against pressure to the contrary, especially to God and then friends. And again, when we look at Fox's book of martyr, uh, martyrs, these people, when they were pressured, they did not succumb. They were loyal to uh, what they believed. So this is underscored in Proverbs 21.21, which says, He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. Notice what it says there again. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. I'm reminded of the uh, Pharisees that Jesus said, you know, go and figure out what this means. I desire mercy rather than sacrifice. Uh, that kind of a thing. They, they did not have a clue. Um, righteousness summing up our relationship with God. Mercy or kindness sums up our relationship with men. So let us see. Old friends are proven to be better than new friends. Uh, Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother that is far away. Uh, again, whole idea Old friends are better than new ones. Uh, You might move into a neighborhood. These people don't know you from Adam, but uh, it would be better to talk to the one that you know than the one that you don't. So that brings us to number four, mutual refinement. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So this shows the importance of real Notice the word real there. I should have capitalized it. Real interaction instead of surface level stuff. Uh, Genesis 2.18. Let me remember. uh, Man, I, I put that there for a reason. Let me go back here and look at it real quick. Aren't these thin pages wonderful? (laughs) 2.18 says... Then the Lord God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper as his complement. Thank you. I now remember that verse. But uh, again, the marital relationship is not a surface-level relationship. It is intim- It has intimacy. It has depth, or at least it should. So it shows the importance of real interaction. Iron is not sharpened by cheese or wood. Um. So interaction with sharp friends serves as a sharpening influence. 
If all you ever talk about is the blues, guess what you're going to become proficient with? Information about the blues. That's it. Uh, when you start challenging with the scriptures, then you become a little bit more proficient with the scriptures. That's the idea. So number two, a must experience godly personal interaction with others that are growing in Christ. Uh, again, in our society today, and unfortunately it's affected the church, we are not close with many people. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing, but within the church, I hope each one of us has those friends that we're close with. Uh, because the Scripture teaches we need each other. And uh, if that person is in a place that's a little bit lower than you in the sanctification process, you need to be the sharpened tool that challenges them. If they're further on beyond you, well, then you need to uh, listen and learn uh, from them. So that brings us to our review on the skill of godly relationships. We started with the dangers of isolation. Okay, uh, we moved on to the dangers of being social butterflies. And now we're weighing God's guidelines for selecting friends, the care and the nurture of those friendships. And uh, ultimately, we show the need for mutually sharpening relationships. We ought to be about the business of finding friends who either uh, motivate us to move on or press on, or being the friend that motivates someone else to press on. Uh, those are two very, very good options. Whew, three full pages and we got through it. So next week we will start looking at uh, skill in marriage relationships. Uh, ultimately the idea would be to move on to skill in parenting relationships. And then we'll see where we go from there. How's that sound? Okay, let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your love, for your care, for this time together, uh, for your word. Lord, you've, uh, you, you give us everything we need for life and godliness, and very often we're just, we're lazy at times. So Lord, <clears throat> motivate us and give us grace, Pre uh, cause us to press on and become the people that you'd have us to become. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.